out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the artist, musician, guitarist, songwriter. It is Robert Courtney, who I spoke to very recently to find out more about life, love and poetry. A member of One Million Fuzz Tone Guitars and also Skin Patrol and lots of other stuff. Anyway, this is the interview. You'll find out much more about it, about him during this next 50 plus minutes. Anyway, sit back, enjoy. So, after several minutes of casual chat, we got down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years. Robert, tell us about your early musical moments. This is what it's all about. It's probably Baby Jump by Mungo Jerry. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's a great first tone guitar kind of riff that's in it. Yes. It's, it's like very anarchic and uh, it's probably completely politically incorrect now. But <laughs> Well, I, I think I think most of the, the 60s and 70s, especially the 70s, yeah. was very politi- politically um, incorrect and, and quite strange. But then, you know, we don't want to delve in. I don't think you could write those lyrics now yeah. in, in the context. But, you know, there you go. That's life. I remember there was one, was it Xanadu, which had a guy with a whip on stage, which seemed very yeah. exciting at the time. When... Dave D. Dosey, Beaky, Mick and Titch. Was it? Right. I must have a go. Yeah. And uh... well, A friend of mine had an older brother, so it, they had kind of singles and like, they'd play them and I, you know, when we go out and play Scale Extra and stuff like that, and you go like, hmm, that sounds that sounds interesting, but I kind of wasn't into it at that point. No, I know. Probably got into the monkeys and stuff like that first. Well, we all loved the monkeys, really. That that was hard not to, really. But I do remember, I remember I'm not sure, I haven't thought of this for, since you mentioned about that um, politically incorrect stuff, but there was kind of Black Betty by... Um, was it what was the band Black Betty by somebody around? Jam Jam band or something yeah, like something that. like that. I mean, God knows what the lyrics are on that one. <laughs> you wouldn't get away with it, would you? Would you know? But so, did you? Did you grow up in a slightly artistic household or sort of quite a working class household? Did your were your parents at all musical? You know, or creative? Not, not that you would know. <laughs> um, I, I grew up in a kind of military house, so. Uh, you know, I was born in an army camp, and um, then we moved to Jamaica. So my childhood was in Jamaica, so we were based out there um, oh. until the end, until independence. Right. Um, so, so th- th- there was no outward signs of um, musicality in that way, but. but it, it, it came came to light that my, my dad had guitars and things like that, but he never played them kind of a, when he was out of the army. Right. He used to play in career and things like that. God, that's kind of, um, yes. I mean, we just went to Pontons and Butlins. We never quite got to Jamaica. <laughs> going, going abroad was something that happened, might have happened in the 80s, actually. So then what was, what was your kind of musical journey throughout your teen period? Did you start thinking, God, I want to, what was the sort of motivation to start you know, wanting to be in a band? Um, I, I, I went through kind of various phases. So I, I was, Ben's dad used to take his motor racing. So, so I used to go and see kind of, um, sort of Jim Clark and uh, Jackie Stewart and Graham Hill and all those people. And that was really exciting. So I was just mad on motor racing. Yes. And um, just gra- gradually, Kind of music kind of ebbed its way in and again it was that that kind of uh it, it, it was the 70s glam rock you know um t-rex less so this week um faces i, I really really like the faces hawk hawk silver machine was the first thing i learned to play right where, um and a friend at school rob farrell and, and his brother played drums and he played guitar and uh went around their house and uh they showed me how to play Silver Machine um, with this kind of crappy guitar with a fuzz box and a homemade amp and cab. And, and that was it. <laughs> I was gone at that point. Yeah, just yeah. that noise. But the, I, I think the first real um, musical experience was probably going to the local youth club. And when I walk, walked in, I mean, you got, yeah, people don't remember how loud things were then. Things were really loud. 
and uh, I walked in and um, they're playing Double Barrel by David Ansel Collins at ear-bending volume. Yeah, it, it was be, be really quite extreme. And I just thought, this is fantastic. I like this. Yes. <laughs> it's a volume, like kind of motor racing was really loud. That's what I liked about it. And uh, so it, it was a volume thing more than anything. There's no finesse, just no. volume. Absolutely. Yeah. And and did and were you kind of becoming aware of things? I mean, I know you, when did you I, I can't remember when you, the independence of Jamaica happened. I mean, when 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 did you leave the island? Uh, I, I think I was 62, if I remember right. Um, and we came. Yeah, because that was that really bad winter. And, and funnily enough, someone uh, stuck a picture of the, themselves on our bait. Uh, bass player stuff picture of him in that winter as a, a kid um and that was the winter that we came from jamaica to uh this country blimey and and uh so I'd, I'd never seen snow or anything like that yeah. no absolutely you must have been, been on the train you know <laughs> or, so, so, so it was all, all these kind of new things we, we stayed at a hotel in reading um before uh, uh going off to guernsey because my, my, my mother was originally from guernsey and uh, she was an evacuee during the war and came over to this country and you had a certain amount of time to go back. I think it's 10 years after the war, but her father and sister were ill over in this country and she outran the time when you could go back as an islander. Right. Uh, after that, you went back as an outsider and, and it's a two-tier housing system. Really expensive for outsiders, kind of normal for islanders. So we, we stayed we stayed with family there for a bit yeah. until we came back over to this country. But I went I went to, I went to school in Jamaica and um, Guernsey first. Yes, and when and how old and what year did you leave school? Were you, did you leave when you were sixteen or eighteen? Oh, eighteen. I I, I left in. Uh, so I went to Foundation College and I went to Art College in seventy six. So went to Foundation College in seventy five. Right. So we did you pick up on the prog rock scene, heavy metal, or were you into punk? Uh, it's all prog rock and um, Black Sabbath first. Fantastic. I'm so pleased yeah, so, to hear that. Because I yeah, had so, old... so it, it, it was all that, but um, I, I also liked um, I, I liked singles and things like George McRae and stuff like that, you know, that, that first kind of drum machine record. And kind of Motowny stuff, loved all that stuff. But, yes. Yeah, the early, early reggae. The, 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 I was never particularly um, conscriptive about what I listened to. No, you must have had a bit of a head start on the Jamaican and reggae scene. It was only in the 80s when I was listening. It didn't exist then. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, it was kind of John Peel playing his kind of in yeah. the 80s of all the Aswad and Burning Spear and Sly and Robbie and Gregory Isaacs that I got into. But obviously, yes. There you go, you know, being in Jamaica. So you did, did you say when you were in Jamaica, you didn't really hear much reggae then? It didn't exist. Not, not in the form that you know it. It was oh, all right. clips and stuff like that. Okay. It, it was, yeah. was it, yeah, Lee Scratch Perry and people like that who started to develop the Jamaican reggae yeah. sound. So then after art school, which you left in about 77, did you leave about 77? Um... I, I, I was invited out <laughs> in uh, 78, I think. Yeah, so I went, went to the year in Banbury, um, uh, which was 75, 76, then started in Nottingham in 76 and left there in 78. Yes. And then a year later, Margaret Thatcher gets into power. The Conservatives are in for a decades aren't they really and um and then there's that kind of i mean during the 70s there was the kind of the, the winter of discontent and it was all pretty grim and then you know we had this sort of falkland war then the minor strike green and common so what was your kind of early 80s period like well, well funnily enough um I, I don't uh are you aware of um julian cope's uh kind of remixes of the rock section song that he did no. All oh, right. So he, he wrote this book called 131, which, which is, is a kind of drug fueled football book. <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a kind of a, it, it, it's a very strange but entertaining book, um, which starts off 
uh, with him coming to see us play uh, in our skin patrol years um, at the Imperial Hotel in Nottingham, where we did our final gig of skin patrol before we came uh, uh, one million first day guitars, and that forms the kind of um, seed of this book. So, 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 so the seed of this book is formed on that night seeing us. And I remember I... him being—I remember him being there because that was his. Um, uh, I, 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 they'd done reward or something like that, and he had that flying jacket on. So, yes. so I, I, I'd seen him on the TV the night before, and then he was kind of standing at the bar. Yes, and what? And and many, many years later, I, I think he, um, I, I put um, um, the rehearsal tape from the night before the gig. It was on um, one of the early websites I did, um, which uh, one of those free websites that then they decided to charge you for. So. Uh, I, I kind of ditched that one, but he, he obviously got the track off that, and then he, he did a version of it, and got Andrew Weatherall to do a remix on the other side. So it came out as a twelve-inch single with the book. Right. And that was in twenty fourteen. My God, we I need to do some. So when you were in Skin Patrol, this kind of was your your heyday was nineteen seventy eight, wasn't it? And you got all these kind of live shows in Nottingham. Yeah your university period with Robert Andrew, Andrew and Leon. So how, I mean, was the band relatively short-lived? Was it just a kind of a, a college project that you were kind of part of at that time? Um, we started off with a band called Cycle Annie. That was kind of the college band with um, uh, a friend Phil Denton and uh, my friend Rick Elgood, who became a filmmaker lives in Jamaica um, so that, that that was the punk group and then that split up and uh, then I, I did a band with <coughs> I, think, I, can't, I can't remember who it had Harry Stevenson out, who's the singer out of band Plummet Airlines if you know them Harry so he, 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 he played bass I think it's basically me and half of Plummet Airlines and we did the fine art dance and that, that was the end of my, my college years. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and then that, that became Skin Patrol. Uh, and but, that... but one thing I think we suffered from was over-creativity. So, so we, we, we couldn't be the same thing just two nights in a row, <laughs> let alone like you know, two years in a row. So it, it, everything just mutated all the time. So the Skin Patrol started off as a kind of Velvet Underground Stooges kind of noise group. Yes. Um, and then en ended up a kind of agit prop, uh, uh, kind of funk group, I suppose, by the end. Yes, blimey. Very, very political. But we used to hang around with um, those kind of jazz players and stuff, you know. So, you know, we had a kind of free-form jazz sax player and stuff like that so it's all very creative i, I can i can see from your website you, it's a very creative kind of um, world that you live in so art sort of is the main thing that you do since 1977 it's kind of your your main mission and goal in life um it, it's, it's had a few kind of detours along the way <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, yeah, it keeps it comes back to music all the time, right? So then, Skin Patrol has it always been, you know, one million fuzz tone guitars and skin tone. Have you Skin Patrol? It, it, you... It, 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 it's never been the double barreled thing. Um, the, the story, the story behind Skin Patrol is basically we were banned from everywhere by the police. Why is that? Because because we were very political. Okay. And and um, I remember going down to, to uh, I think it was Radio Nottingham, and uh, saying, like, why haven't you advertised our group? And, and they said, we're very sorry, but the police have told us not to. Blimey. And it's like, why? <laughs> what have we done wrong? 
I mean, we did like to wind people up, but uh, um, yeah, it, 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 yeah, you got to remember how volatile things were then. Yeah, it's very volatile period. Yeah. Um, so, so the, the, then, hence that last gig that we did as Skin Patrol, um, we were actually banned from play anywhere. Uh, so, so we did it kind of secretly, uh, supporting a local group Gaffer. But they kind of smuggled us in and let us play, and that, that's what forms the crux of this book. Um, and then we, we we just kind of thought, oh, what do we do now? Or we, we, we'll just be different, so we just completely reinvented ourselves. Exactly the same band uh, with kind of Steve Harvey on drums, but then he uh, went off, I think, went off to America with Medium Medium. Um, so we didn't we didn't have a drummer. So I went down Dave Mann's music shop and bought you know, one of the first drum machines, one of those little blue boss things. Right. Uh, and there's a bit of a crossover period um, where we rehearsed with Steve and, and kind of continuation continuation of the skin patrols stuff. And then we start doing what became one million first Dave guitars drum machine stuff. Blimey. And this was... is essentially the same thing. Um, and how it's ended up with the double name now is after the first tone stopped, I, 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 I did tons and tons of songs and, and I did what became the Everything's Happening LP, which went out under my name. Because I couldn't, I couldn't decide what to put it out as. You know, I wanted to put it out as Skin Patrol. There didn't seem much point in doing that. <laughs> Just be banned from everywhere. And uh, because one, one million tone guitars had kind of folded, it didn't seem right calling it that. So I just did it solo, which was a kind of a big mistake. So that's going to be re-released -re next year. It's going to be remastered. So I've got the tapes here. Um, there's also some other tapes that exist of it in individual session form. But I'm going to start off with just remastering that. And that will be one million first guitars and skin patrol, which is what it should have been called in the first place. Right. I mean, it, yeah. yes, because I, I, you know, obviously going to your Bandcamp page and seeing suddenly like a phenomenal amount of music, getting a bit confused on your kind of narrative, actually. It's because there is just a lot of material out there, isn't there? Yeah, I was, I was just trying to, I'm trying to clarify the narrative by making this, this yeah, because yeah, yeah, I, I, th I th think, yeah, there's so, so many kind of rap collaborations and made it okay for it to be like so-and-so featuring so-and-so and so-and-so and so, yeah, so people are used to that now. Yes. Whereas, you know, 20 years ago, if you said we're what, one million person guitars and skin shot, people are like, what? <laughs> but no, no, it's pretty normal, yeah. So as you kind of, as we all slipped into the 80s, did you change much of your sound when you decided to just focus on being the name One Million Fuzz Tone Guitars? Or did you think there is absolutely no difference because there isn't any personnel changes or personnel problems and no uh, management? I mean, it just went down to um, me and Andrew Dickinson and the drum machine. So that, that radically changed the sound because that made you write everything different. And... We, we called it One Million Festo Guitars. Uh, <laughs> so it was a band with no guitars at one point. It was just stylophones. We, uh, yeah, I, I got a stylophone in a um, charity shop, I think. And uh, we just put that through fuzz boxes and uh, amps. Yes. And that was the instrument. So it was just drum machine, bass and stylophone. My God, you were such a radical band, weren't you? But but it, you know, th th then that that became limiting, you know, because it, it it was very basic. Um, so so there's only a certain amount way you could go with that. So then it was either buying like kind of really expensive keyboards that none of us could afford, um, and going that whole MIDI route that was coming in there, yes, or the guitar route. So I mean, I was happy to go either way, but the kind of went back to the guitar thing yeah and that's because the one thing i've noticed doing this show 
point years is that most bands you know they have that five-year narrative you know they get together a group of people for 12 months you know it's the honeymoon period where they vaguely create a sound you know they're drinking and smoking and having a great time you know they get a single John Peel plays it. They get that John Peel session at the Maida Vale Studios. And then the first album, they get their little tour, you know, transit van, go around the country. Because every town and city in the UK has an indie night, don't they? Mostly on a Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday. And things are going well for the first album. And then often the second album or third is when things start to get a bit tricky dynamically. Plus also no one's ever made any money. So, so how did yeah. your creative kind of moment happen? Because with the 80s, I mean, what I'm sort of boggled about well two things there's the kind of there's these gatekeepers aren't there which we kind of now realize a bit more about um you know like we had three you know weekly music papers we had john peel and and obviously a whole sort of network of venues so did you sort of pick up on any particular scene uh, no, not not really we, we were always kind of a bit out of scene <laughs> we, we i don't think we ever fitted in with anything you know um yeah because you went there's all these kind of little kind of micro things yeah we certainly didn't fit in with the 80s kind of hair mob you know and uh yeah your duran durans and all of that um but all, all, all and you know as you went through we went thrash metal it, it, it was never it was never it was never stylistically extreme in that way it was always um artistically extreme <laughs> yes i can I, I can i can see but did you did you keep with the political world there was you know obviously in the 80s things get very heated and then we had you know minor strike we had the the battle of the bean field with the travelers and then it was red wedge did any of that come into your consciousness or dna oh yeah 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 um now why, why I brought up the, the uh, Julian Cope book was because um, after after that came out, um, he, he sent me a copy of the book, the single, and uh, went, went to see his tour at that time. And um, he, he kind of emailed me saying, I, uh, I'm really interested in doing a, a kind of my own version of rock section. You know, is, are there any more words? Uh, you know, is there any different versions? You know, and of course, there's tons and tons of words. But they're all on bits of paper in a cardboard box, and there's lots of versions on cassette tapes. And that kind of prompted me to go through everything. Um, so all, all these up lyrics from like you know, 1981 and sort of 1979, um, most of which are crap, but there's a, a few kind of gems in there. And uh, all, all these tapes, and I found this, because um, I used to tape loads of stuff off the radio and not just, um, music so um, I used to take chat shows off local radio and, and they're mad at that point you know because um, th there's a point where you had kind of all the rioting going on because um, I, I think Heisen Green in Nottingham was kind of under siege at one point you know and uh, as the radio show and people going on like you know the BBC News and Newsnight and stuff like this and like you know they, yeah, we should stop all this, you know, these people. And um, <laughs> they're, 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 it, honestly, it's hilarious. I've got hours of it. Um, that I, I, and I, I, I did send a bit of that to him as a kind of a, a interview of it. So, so, so what, what, one of the plans is to do a, a track called Tyson Green, which is about, be about half an hour long. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I just have snippets out of things. Uh, radio shows with people coming out with absolutely insane stuff you know i mean like uh you, you think politics is polarized now nothing like it was in the 80s you know there's people like, like there's women and their children are like making them molotov cocktails and throwing them over the balconies <laughs> at the police and uh it's like what's it um they, they, they should Get their heads and impale them on spikes, you know, to Dale Winton. <laughs> so, I don't think you can do that. It's not legal. <laughs> yeah. and, that, and that is the kind of atmosphere that things were then, you know. Yes, well, I, I do know because I've still got some of my John Peel tapes and sometimes been a bit shocked or surprised, yeah. I suppose, 
when suddenly the news comes in and I'm not paying attention and then they're talking about, you know, Michael Heseltine, the miners, Scargill, Thatcher, and it's like, what? Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course, this is, you know, like from 1980-something. So it's always, I mean, that's the only thing I've got on that front. I haven't got talk shows particularly. But um, so going back to that track, so is Julian Cope, is, would Obsessed be right about or covers your track called Rock, Rock Section? And he, he did a kind of remix of it um, under the name Dayglo Maradona. Right. For the book, he had all this, these spoof groups. That, that he created, like Full English Breakfast and stuff like this, um, and, and other groups that actually existed, and groups like us, which kind of didn't exist at that point, but you know, if you remixed it, you could make believe it was another group a bit later on, which is <laughs> what, what we were. And then yes. it's kind of weird, Andrew Weatherall um, kind of house remix of it. Yeah. Um, that, must be, that must be amazing to have all that. With, yeah, kind of world of Andrew Weatherall and Julian Cope sort of remixing. Yeah, it's great, I had no idea it was going on. <laughs> it suddenly turned up. Yeah. Yes. So in the early eighties, as as you're one million fuzz tone guitars, you bring out two singles, Heaven and then Men's Heart, and then a sort yeah. of a mini EP which is twenty six. So at yeah. this, so at this stage, where were you, sort of going with the band, or was it just kind of on the fly, on the who? Uh, the, the LP got us um, more gig. I mean, we used to play a lot in Manchester with the band on the wall um, and the university and played at Blackpool and stuff like that in London. But, but it, I didn't organise any of the gigs. People would just go like, I, I want to give you a gig. Do you want to come and play? And we would. Yeah. Yes. And, and um, But we'd also do residencies. And there's a couple of places that we did you pick something like a Friday night or a Sunday night. Um, not, it wouldn't be a Friday night. We'd, we'd pick a night of the week that was nothing was happening on and uh, just play every every week on the same night and just get other bands to play with us. Sometimes we'd support them. Just to yes. Change it around. And, uh, and that was really good for building up a crowd rather than just doing an ad hoc gig. You just play the same place all the time. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I did... A couple of weeks ago, an interview with JJ French, who was the guitarist with Twisted Sister, and they had an amazing story because they had been going from 72 to 81, playing New yeah. York at these kind of, you know, almost like residencies around New York. There was quite a lot of, you know, venue playing, you know, six times a week, sometimes two nights, two yeah. times a night. But no one would sign them, even though they'd be playing in front of hundreds, if not thousands, of people. But every record company said, "No, we don't want Twisted Sister on our on our label <laughs> very much." And um, yeah, some people getting really yeah, because it's the wrong time. It was the wrong time. I mean, um, well, after after one million Fuzzstone guitars, I'd kind of done all the demos for what was going to be the next Fuzzstones album, but became um, uh, everything's happening LP. And uh, someone I knew got me onto Morrissey's lawyer. Morrissey's lawyer got me into like all the record companies, uh, so EMI, you know, Polydor, all of that, all of that lot. I went to everyone and played in the tape, and they went, "That's really good. I really like it, but there will never be guitar rock again. It's over." <laughs> <laughs> and so what do you do with that you know it's like okay yes that is very yeah, strange and, and 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 um you know i used to go and see a lot of bands around there and there's bands like um apple mosaic and oh what's, what's the other lot um oh, their name escapes me at the moment but but uh, bands all around that kind of psychedelic scene there Right. You'd go and see live and they'd be absolutely brilliant. And then they, they'd get, you know, signed to CBS or something. And this really horrible, insipid single would come out. That <laughs> didn't, was not representative of them at all, but what the record company thought would sell. But it, it kind of wouldn't, it wouldn't make any rock fan go, oh, I've got to buy that. Yes. And it was too insipid to convert anyone. You know, there was, there was no kind of, let's do it, you know, and make it great. It was just, 
you know, very calculating stuff and, and it just killed them all off. Yeah. So how come you never signed Jane, for... Jane. Jane was the band that was trying things off. They were what was it? Baby? The plain Jane. Plain Jane, yes. So look, how come with all the, the rise of the independent label, you know, from Rough Trade to Glass Records to, you know, the creation and and onwards and, and yes, all those, the pink label, people like that, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, how come you didn't sort of get signed to a, an indie label? Um, probably complete incompetence. <laughs> they weren't very, weren't interested in business, you know. Um, it, 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 it was just very art focused, you know. It never gave an inkling of thought to actually how you made it work, you know, uh, as a business idea. No. Or even... But you kind of need to have, you need to have someone, someone has to have the idea rather than what mad thing can we do, you know, at the next gig that's going to entertain us, which yes. could be anything, you know, like playing one note all night or, uh, you know, kind of a... But as you, as we remember, the you know the eighties was full of sort of some weird and wonderful and curious kind of things that, you know, a lot of those little labels would have gone. Yes, I'm going to take a punt on this person. They'll, you know, there was Bogshed, Stump, Big Flame, you know, you know. I don't know. I, 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 think, I think we just didn't fit. We were genreless, yeah. So, so, yeah. If 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 you were a thrash metal group. You, oh, you're that. If if you were a, a jingly jangly um, indie group, you were that. We, we were none of those things. Yes. We, 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 I don't think we could play three songs in a row that sat in a genre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it was like, I mean, I can't, I can't do it now. If you look at the things that I put out recently, you know, it, it's one thing to another. Yeah, it's like a kind of dance track. You know, follows a kind of a, you know, 60s garbage rock thing, which follows something which is, has no genre whatsoever. <laughs> it's all about being creative. Yeah, and, well, and I get it or not. <laughs> well, absolutely. So then, by the mid 80s, where, where were you sort of standing sort of musically and, you know, with the band and, and sort of going to the next level? <laughs> Mid eighties, the band didn't exist, uh, and I was DJing. So I DJed at the garage nightclub, and uh, then I started DJing at the Hippo Jazz Club. So, so one was kind of indie, indie stuff, and the other was kind of uh, jazz and uh, dance music. And I did that six nights a week. Right. I, 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 and that's what financed the studio. So I do that six nights a week for three months and then go in the studio and record another four songs. Yes. And there was that the pattern that you started to develop for the rest of your life, or did you No, <laughs> nothing lasts that long. Um so you know that went on for uh, a couple of years and then the LP eventually came out in nineteen eighty eight. Um and I, I there was, I think, some kind of arrangement with a distribution company that then went bankrupt, and it all went horribly, horribly wrong. And um, so, <laughs> yeah, that that didn't work. Yeah, and uh, then I just stopped. I, I I stopped and did other things. I worked in the film industry, did pop videos and stuff. And, um, yeah, did that along until the uh, um, 1993 when uh, I formed a band with Pam Hogg called Doll. And uh, that started at the top and worked its way to the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, so we, talked, we, talked, we talked with Blondie. Yeah, we had two weeks to get set together before we talked with Blondie. Um, and we were playing big places, so that, that, so that was great. But um, we'd only been together for two weeks. And how did you, and how did you manage to get a, a gig with um, supporting Blondie? Um, they were friends of Pam's. Right. 
Yeah, so, and so they went, yeah, come along and play. Blimey O'Reilly. We didn't, have, we didn't have to pay him 80,000 quid like Adam Ant wanted. No, that would have been really disposable. So uh, that was, was Blondie doing it as Blondie or was Debbie Harry doing a solo? That, so? that, that, that was Debbie Harry, but it was, yeah, it was essentially Blondie. Yeah. yeah. And did you say that was 93 time? Yeah. Yeah, so I guess, had Chris recovered from his kind of ailment, illness, or had he... I remember there was a whole thing about his yeah. health. No, he was fine. There you go. And did you, as a band, Doll, did you ever release any material? No, um, we went into the studio with... Um, in uh, Look at the Eurythmics, what's his name? Dave Stewart. Dave Stewart, Dave Stewart, that's it, yeah. Uh, he paid for us to go into his studio and uh, we recorded three tracks and then Pam decided she didn't like them, wasn't going to put them out. And I thought, I've, I've just wasted a year of my life. <laughs> 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 that was that. That was the end of that. Uh, and um, uh, I, formed, I formed a group with, uh, called Liberty Cushion, which was with um, uh, Martin Spear, who was in this fantastic thrash metal band um, called Madam Madam. Not the Madam Madam that's around at the moment. They were really, really, really good. Uh, yeah, again, a band that no one's heard of, did nothing, but they were incredible. Yes. Yeah, they were one of the best bands I've ever seen. But, what yeah. were they called? Madam Adam, all one word. Madam Adam. Adam. But I get the impression. You won't find anything on the internet unless I've written. Probably, yes. Oh, God, there's all this stuff that, that that's kind of... So with your any of that material you did with Pam, is that also not available anywhere? Uh, that is None of that is available. Um, I have all the recordings. Um, I got hold of all the live videos this year. Um, and, and I think the only time you'll... Any place you'll find anything is on... As a little snippet on Pam's Instagram. Nice. There you go. Yeah. It's worth looking at it because it's really good. Oh, good. What, what was her surname, Pam? Hulk. Hulk. H-O-double-G. Yeah. Double-G. Oh, okay then. God, this is quite strange, isn't it? Trying to sort of work your narrative out. So then after, the, after your blondie, Debbie Harry and Chris Stein experience, what happens next? Do you keep making music or do you sort of think, no, I'm going to do something else again? Um... I, I just kept kind of secretly doing it. And when I couldn't secretly do it, I, I just did it in my mind. Right. But then I had kids and stuff. So, yeah, that took over. I just this... abandoned it. And um, while doing it in my mind all the time. So, <laughs> so that's why I've got a great stock of music. Well, I know. To. So on your Bandcamp page, is this the, the kind of, all your kind of archive all put in one place now? No, that's that, that's uh, the tip of the iceberg. My God, the that archive. Is... But but all, all, all the new stuff, the, the top, the twenty things on the top, all new. That's all from last year and this year. Yes. So is it the case? I'm trying to get a handle of this. From sort of the the last twenty years has been sort of family, children doing that, as well as suddenly having a creative kind of wave, a tsunami in the last couple of years. Yeah. And but basically, uh, lockdown meant I didn't have to travel to work. Um, I, I suddenly got hours and hours and hours back of my day. Um, I had to work in my studio, so, so I got the studio going again. Um, put everything together, sorted the computers out, loaded it up with um, all, all, you know, all the stuff for a modern recording studio. Yes. And so I, I can sit there and, and just do anything that I could have done in a kind of million quid studio 20 years ago. Blimey, that is good. And is it the case, because it sounds like for you, lockdown was quite a good thing, because I've spoke to a lot of artists or musicians, and most of them it's been horrendous, but it sounds like... No, 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 because, because I don't play, play live, uh, it, it, yeah, I, 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 I don't 
rely on music for my uh, income. Um, it, it, it wasn't a problem. It was more, it was quite life affirming actually. Yeah, because it, it lockdown for me was like punk rock. You know, it was like that watershed moment where everything changes. Yes. Because, because it, it, it didn't, it positively affected my life rather than adversely affecting it. I know. And, um, and when did you put your website together? Because that's quite a comprehensive kind of, kind of... Oh, it's been lurking around for a while, probably 2008 or something like that. Right. And that's it. And is that, is that the sort of the go-to place for us fans to go and find anything that they want about you and, the, and, the, and your past? There's there's the um, one million first ten guitars dot com, which is the basically a WordPress site, and then there's the the shop, which is the Bandcamp site, and and then it, it, it's all the new stuff. So that's there'll be twenty singles out um, by the end of this year. That that they're all they're all streamed on all the platforms. That is just brilliant, isn't it? It's it's. It, I love archiving with with age. I mean, if you could have said something to your like sixteen or eighteen year old self, kind of starting out in this kind of interesting creative path, is there anything that you would have just kind of whispered in their ear, just to try to help help the future and to possibly, I don't know, get a proper job and buy some decent equipment. Right. <laughs> I just said that. Don't try and wing it. <laughs> right and did you and and with with your sort of you know creative kind of moment do you still just work on your own or do you occasionally get any of the pre previous band back together or to um to play well what 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 happened was prior to lockdown so the, the, in the run-up to christmas before lockdown uh steve harvey the, the drummer said I'm coming over to see my dad, because he lives in the States. Does anyone fancy doing a gig? And rather than no, which would be the normal answer, everyone went yes. So I, I kind of started trying to organize kind of dates, which have been in 2000. And um, I also thought, what on earth are we gonna play? Because everyone's probably got their own idea of what a song is, because there are so many different versions of everything. Yeah, so it's like, I'll be doing the version from, you know, kind of June in uh, you know, 1982, or, or, or the August version, <laughs> that song which is completely different. So, so um, in the March of 2020, I, I, I kind of sat down, uh, probably you know, early March 2020, pre-lockdown, I sat down and recorded a load of demo versions uh, of, what sort of skin patrol stuff? Yeah, so it's all the stuff that it came out uh, in Bandcamp last year. Uh, just to say, like, right, this is my take on it. If you do something like this, so so everyone can go away with their take and and, uh, and learn it, and then you know everyone can like kind of do their creative bit once once we're all together. But you know, th this is the template. You know, it's like it's these chords and it's this long. You know, at this speed. Um, then of course uh, lockdown here, so no one was going anywhere. Um, nothing was going to happen. So uh, I think it got to about May, and I thought, like, well, I might as well do something with this stuff. <laughs> Not going to play. I might as well just record it properly. So I started doing that, and then kind of got obsessed with doing that. Yes. And do you think when Steve's about again, you might sort of have the occasional gig? Did did the did the idea actually start to become a bit more exciting when it when it was kind of the idea that was going to happen? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I was kind of up for that. Exactly. Not quite sure how how up everyone is for it anymore. Um, it probably faded a bit. Um, there, there was rumours of Doll uh, playing again, but that that to me is going off at another tangent. Yeah, because that that's another lot of work to do which would be great to do um do the same thing with that but i'm in less control of that whereas this stuff i'm in big control of yes and is it the case that your fans from sort of 40 years ago who used to come and see you in not the fans 
the fan. The fan. <laughs> well, I was looking at your pictures, and it was like you know the the gigs in Nottingham, and there was just like all these crowds. I just wondered if you were um, you had a cult following. I, would, I, th I think we're pretty cult. We're as cult as they get. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'd like to be a bit less cult. <laughs> right. <laughs> I did. I did find you on Spotify. I didn't see how many your monthly listens were, but I think it was kind of okay. I think there must be there's there's a great world of curiosity because you must have realised yeah. in the, in the last few years there's been a lot of films made from, you know, bands from the. 80s really you know the some really obscure bands even albums you know the george best album by the wedding present as well as everyone's been writing their book in the last few years so i just wondered if you're you've been kind of um getting your archive together of you know like live recordings and posters and and various set lists uh, it, it it does exist. I, I, I mean, I, I must admit to being, I'm less interested in uh, the past and the history. The past and the history only really exists to uh, give a narrative and, you know, some kind of backstory to the future. Yes. Uh, I'm more interested in doing something new than doing something old. Which is a wise choice. So for 2022, yeah. have you got a lot of kind of ideas of what's going to happen next i noticed on your band camp there's there's kind of records that are going to be released on the i think the 21st of december conspiracy theory i think is one isn't it yeah yeah so, so what happens is when, when, when you put them on the streaming you, you have to give a certain amount of time from when you put them on until they they, they recommend a month i mean you, you can do it in less than that i've tried doing it in less than that and sometimes it gets really complicated if, if there's something wrong with it. Um, so I, after the, what, what I tend to do is put them on Bandcamp when I think they're kind of there. Yeah. Uh, and they, they would exist on there for you know, three or four days. And you, you've got to kind of listen to it back even after you've mastered it. it it's got to go into something else. One of the forms that people are going to hear it so you can hear what it really sounds like. It's a bit like, you know, you're in a studio, you you, you mix, your, mix your tape and then you send it off, you know, for your record to be pressed and you get your record back and you go, why does it sound like that? <laughs> and there's nothing you can do about it at that point. But what I do with Bandcamp is I put it on there and then if I think, oh, I don't like that bit, it's very easy to just re-upload it, whereas you can't do that once it's gone out around the world streaming. Yes, you're stuck. You're stuck with it. So things go out on Bandcamp a month before they go out to everything else. Yes. So does yeah. that mean that you've got a lot of kind of stuff that's kind of in the kind of the cupboard that's that you've just recorded or just planned to record that's going to be coming out? I mean, is it the case that we need to be on Bandcamp watching next release constantly? Um, I've, I've been trying to do at least one thing a month, if not two. So two tracks a month. Um, but th that, that's all stuff that's been done from scratch. Um, there's a lot of stuff that is kind of half recorded. So, so, so it, it exists in kind of um, a finished LPs worth of stuff in finished form, but just needs that final kind of polishing up tweaking to be good and there, there's tons and tons of stuff boxes and boxes and boxes of tapes that haven't had anything done to them yes and then in the last kind of week i guess this rock rock section from from 1981 has just been sort of loaded and so is it a case that these this is what you've got in your boxes that you think oh yeah i must yeah i mean that, that, that's a prime example uh that is a rehearsal tape, but I, I've got the technology to, to be able to take a stereo tape and split it into the individual parts. So, so, so I take the bass, drums, vocal, and then guitar out or whatever, keyboards, and then reprocess them and then remix it as, it as if you're in the studio. So, so that's what I did with that one. Right. 
we all need to go and and sort of find i need to go and find this julian cope book as well don't i i feel so bad that i don't know anything about this book actually it's just 131 is yeah. it still available pardon i think so yeah yeah have to do it have to do it well, look, Robert, thank you ever so much. God, my, my connection is a bit more, not so good. Um, thank you ever so much for giving me the time for this. This has been amazing and, um, you know, really appreciate it. And if you want, I can always, when I do it, send you the link and you can always put it on one of your... Yeah, um, definitely. That'd be fantastic. ...on your page and then you yeah. can have it. But no, thank you a lot. And it's been great. I mean, one of the things I love doing this show is um, a lot of reasons. It's great to sort of, I suppose, appreciate a bit more the music that I liked back in the day or discover something that I didn't even sort of hear the first time around because frankly it wasn't always that possible was it you know back in the day yeah. well know. I mean I, I think I was probably lucky because yeah I used to um roadie at the sandpiper club so that's where all, all the punk bands played everyone so you know the jam Susie and the Banshees Adam and the Ants right at the start so we'd take their amps in get paid and watch them. Yes, absolutely. And then, and then the, the garage used to put loads of bands on, so, yeah, there's Sonic Youth, Jesus, Mary Chain, and yeah, all of that stuff. So you see it, all of those, yeah, because you're there every night. Amazing, I know. It's, um, there was one band, I can't remember who they were, I spoke to recently, they were just kind of, just say, look, I'll come, we'll come and support you now. And they go, oh, good. <laughs> That's great. And we'll just, you know, we don't need money, but we'll just come and see. We, we just want to watch the main band play. So that was that, really. That was their, that was their little number. I'll tell, tell you a great story. Katie's and Beeston. Um, this was probably 1977. Uh, we were going to see alternative television. Yes. And uh, someone found out that they couldn't get there. Their bus had broken down. But all their gear had arrived. So we turned up and told them we were alternative television. And we were on stage playing and when, when they kind of figured out we weren't. <laughs> <laughs> Blimey. You've got to take everyone seriously. You do. And that, that's quite a good idea. God, that would make a great bit in a film, actually, wouldn't it? Yeah. Alternative television. God. There you go. So look, thank you, Robert. This has been brilliant. That's and been um, great. Yeah. And I much appreciate this. And I'll, I'll sort of keep on. Yes, you've got lots of names that I need to go and listen to now and, and, and go through your Bandcamp page and Spotify, which is good. So um, anyway, but thanks again for this. This has been really good and um, much appreciated. Yeah, cool. Thanks very much. Cheers. Okay, take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. There you go, dear listener. That is the end of the interview. A massive thank you to Robert Courtney for giving me the time for that. This has been the C86 Show. I'm David Easter. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just do C86 Show. As long as it's nice and positive. Otherwise, why did you bother listen? Anyway, look, all these have been archived. So you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. Um, and they're all there. They're there. Just free and easy, man. Anyway, look, have a great week. Stay safe. <laughs>